Welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a Los Angeles-based chef to talk about growing up in her parents' Chinese restaurant, cutting her teeth with the Voltaggio brothers, and her must-have Asian pantry staples. She is an incredibly talented chef, owner of the new Szechuan hot fried chicken restaurant called Daybird, and star of Food Network's The Lunar New Year Menu digital series, It's May Lin. May, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you on. It is so clear that you are a dedicated person to your job and to your craft. And so I wanted to start off our chat by asking you, where does that work ethic come from? Honestly, it was pretty much like instilled in me at a very young age. You know, I started working for my aunts and uncles. And, you know, at the age of eight, I would go to work with my dad every Saturday. It wasn't just going to work with my dad. It was it was going to work and kind of hanging out with my dad and seeing like everything that he did on a daily basis and just kind of learning like the ins and outs of the the restaurant industry, I guess. Yeah, because your, your family owned a, a Chinese restaurant in, in Dearborn, Michigan, had immigrated to the United States, mm-hmm. you know, when you were very young. You remember just like hanging out with your dad. What else do you remember just about being in a kitchen at such a young age? Honestly, I, I thought it was the best thing ever. But also, <laughs> I just got pampered. We would be the first ones in in there. My aunt would already be at the restaurant as well. My go-to breakfast that she would make for me all the time is a BLT. That's like my favorite sandwich ever to this day. But also <laughs> just like a good BLT. And it's got to be iceberg lettuce, great tomatoes. And I know this is going to be a hot take, but... I had it with Miracle Whip growing up. So <laughs> Miracle Whip is kind of the thing on toasted one bread too. So of course, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> the nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. it comes back. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I don't think most children kind of have that up close and personal experience with their parents' jobs and their workplace. I mean, what do you think you absorbed during that time just in terms of what you're doing now? Honestly, I I knew at a very young age that what my parents did for a living was very, was just like a lot of hard work. It's a lot of manual labor. It's being on your feet for 12 plus hours a day. I mean, how old were you when you decided like, this is what I want to do? I was actually, I was going to college. It was, it was like my second year of college. And I just decided when I'm like, I'm not happy. Like I don't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was just always kind of instilled to me you know, go, you know, go to school to be a doctor or a lawyer. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't pre-nursing. And so I just had like a a moment one day where I thought I'm like, I I don't even know if I can handle dealing with blood. And so (laughs) I just kind of had like a minor freak out. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm already like 21 years old. What am I going to do? And one of my friends at the time was like, why don't you go to culinary school? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you love cooking and I think you should try it out. And I'm like, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I dropped out of school pretty much uh, the end of the week and enrolled into culinary school as soon as I did that. So the rest is history. What did you learn in culinary school that you didn't learn, you know, in your in your parents' restaurant? I mean, I, I went to culinary school. We, we learned all like the French fundamentals mm-hmm. of, of cooking, you know, just all the different sauce work and, you know, just all the classical French dishes that, you know, you know, today, you know, the French brigade system, like how the kitchen works. 
Um, it's all very, very relative. It's very similar in almost every single kitchen. So we've had several chefs on the show, obviously some went to culinary school, some bypassed it, you know, in, in favor of just kind of getting right into the restaurant industry right away. What advice would you give to an aspiring chef based on your own experience? Honestly, I don't think that school is vital. The best thing to do is kind of read up on a lot of different things. You know, if there's a style or, or something that, that piques your interest, you should study that and go and stage at different restaurants until mm-hmm. you find that place that you really like and really just learn from that chef. That's probably the best way to do it. Not to say that culinary school doesn't, you know, help you out in any way. I just think that school in general these days is just super expensive and not everybody can Mm -hmm. afford that. So I think getting out there and just immersing yourself into the craft is the way to go. And you've worked with, you know, some very familiar, very big names in the industry. You cut your teeth at Wolfgang Puck Spago in in Vegas and Michael Voltaggio's Inc. in Los Angeles, as we had talked about. What do you recall about your time with some of these other notable chefs and what did you learn from them? Yeah, honestly, just putting yourself into it, just working, you know, putting your head down and working. I think you get very far in life doing that. I mean, it's humbling, you know, you just Mm -hmm. listen to the chefs, listen to what they have to say, do your work and cut everything out. That's probably the best way to do it. And you've actually worked with both Fotagio brothers, um, who we actually had on the the podcast together last year, Um, you know, from somebody that's worked with both of them. How how are their approaches to running a kitchen similar? How are they different? I mean, the approach to running a kitchen is very much so similar. The ease of going from one kitchen to another was pretty easy in terms of, you know, it's things that you know, all the same standards, fundamentals, and the food, I can't say that the food is very similar, but obviously it stems from one place. And so once you, you know, one brother style, you're going to know the other ones. It was a good transition for sure. What is your strategy for kind of working your way up, breaking the ranks in the kitchen when you've been eyeing a position, you know, like sous chef? It's really just putting yourself out there and making sure that you work harder than everybody else. Obviously, you see someone next to you struggling and you have some free time. You definitely want to offer your help and and help everybody out. And that's kind of how it was way back when. It's just kind of showing up early, super early, and just getting everything done, helping others around you, and just kind of setting yourself up for success, but also just being there for others. How important is it to kind of cultivate a community of chefs and mentors around you when you're when you're kind of coming up like that? I think it's really important. You know, you make those connections and and you want to kind of build that community around you. I think more and more now, we need each other more than ever, helping everybody else out so they can sustain. We can only build everybody up to make sure that the industry remains. You know, I think we're, we're mm-hmm. in a really tough time now and that's all we can really do. Who are your closest confidants in the industry right now? You know, I have a chef named John Yao. I like to call him my son. Uh, he's in Los Angeles. He's uh, reopening his restaurant, Cato. Like, he's one of my best friends. And we kind of just talk to each other about literally everything, what he's going through, what I'm going through. You know, it's just kind of, we can talk about anything. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important to have someone like that in the industry, especially because they can relate. And you do have some exciting things going on right now, including opening your newest restaurant, Daybird. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of share the inspiration just behind the the new concept in the menu? Uh, well, it's a very simple menu. 
it's a Szechuan hot fried chicken concept. And of course, I'm sure that you've seen a lot of Nashville hot chicken restaurants out there. Slightly different in terms of the flavors. Fundamentals are the same. I just remember going to Nashville for the first time and just kind of doing like a a hot chicken eating tour and <laughs> my mouth was just like blown out. We did it all in one day, which was oh my insanity. gosh. Wow. It, we literally like jumped from one restaurant to the other. And of course it just progressively got hotter and hotter and hotter. So <laughs> it was pretty nuts. Which places did you go to in Nashville? We started with Hattie B's, went to Prince's, went yep. to Bolton's. And like honestly, Bolton's was like I, I think that's like a sleeper hit because they, they actually have hot fried fish there as well. It's actually pretty surprising because like they're, I feel like their mild is like they're hot. <laughs> we really just stuck with medium all throughout and everybody, I mean, everybody's like heat levels are, are a lot different. And of course, all the different spices that they're using are, are different as well. And so I think it's really interesting how how different everybody's is. What is the key to perfect, you know, crispy chicken? For me, what I found was different starches. In my dredging mix, I have potato starch as well as cornstarch, but it's the double fry. Yeah. So that's really the secret. I mean, when you're in those initial stages of kind of starting a restaurant, what does your brainstorming usually look like? Are you like a mood board person? Do you put notes in your phone? How do you kind of stay organized and, and, and keep focused Definitely lots of notes in my phone, but that can get disorganized <laughs> really quickly. In terms of designing the restaurant, it's a lot of Pinterest boards for sure. And just kind of tacking on all the little nuances, the colors and the materials, just like the overall, the overall like feel and, and look of the restaurant of how you want it. But then obviously the most important thing is, is the food. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, a t- it's a takeout restaurant. So, uh, we didn't do anything crazy to the restaurant. It's just all about the food. And I know you did quite a bit of traveling before opening this restaurant. You mentioned mm-hmm. Nashville, you know, tasting all the hot chicken. Did you know that you wanted to do a fried chicken concept or was it the travels and, and trying different food around the country and different places that, that really inspired this, this menu? Honestly, it's a little bit of both. I did extensive amounts of traveling to Asia back in 2017-18. I ate a lot of different things. And I guess like the spice mix that really like came to me was it was like the Szechuan hot chili mix. So I had a lot of numbing peppercorns, a lot of different chilies and a little bit of different spices, including cumin and fennel. And so I just kind of started playing around with my own spice mix and that kind of just came to light, you know, just kind of fusing those two things together, hot fried chicken. Obviously, everybody loves fried chicken. Yeah, I just um, did those th- two things. And, um, you know, I was making chili oil at the time as well. And so did the, the whole chili oil dip and then seasoned it with the, the hot chili mix and honestly, it was the most in taste sensation in your mouth with with all the numbing and everything. So I had to tone yeah. a lot of things down. <laughs> that sounds incredible. I mean, I love I love fried chicken. Like you said, everybody loves fried chicken. And I love uh, <laughs> Szechuan um, as well. The numbing is just like a, a sensation that, you know, if you haven't had it, it's it's grabs you right away. Are there any, you know, from your travels, whether it was like you said, that that trip to Asia or anywhere else, like specific bites that you specifically remember that kind of, you know, sparked your inspiration? Um, in terms of inspiration behind Daybird, not not specifically, just go into Nashville and just immersing yourself into the culture of the city and um, 
there's just so much light in in what everybody brings to the table. And so I kind of wanted to bring that to LA. When you personally go to a restaurant, what kind of experience are you looking for? What excites you? What I'm looking for is when going to a restaurant, I just want like simple, tasty, well-seasoned, well-executed food. That's kind of all it takes to make me happy these days. So. <laughs> what are some of your favorite restaurants, you know, in LA or or around the country? One of my favorite restaurants in LA is probably Angler. I, I think it's just also kind of like a, a chef hangout. Try to go there pretty much like every week. And it's just like a fun place to hang out, get a few bites, just sit at the bar and and kind of chit chat with the bartender. And I mean, yeah, that's pretty much like my my go to place in, in Los Angeles. I'm actually currently in New York right now and eating some amazing food. Yesterday, I went to Lodi, I had a, uh, a simple chicory salad with an anchovy vinaigrette. And that was mm. perfectly seasoned, very beautiful to look at and fantastic overall. Well, I have to put that on the list then. You mentioned your chili oil line. You, you are the creator of Umame, a, a line of small batch chili oil and also exo sauce. I love both of those things. So for anyone who isn't familiar, what exactly is exo sauce and, and how would one use it? Exo sauce is a condiment. It's actually made with a bunch of dried seafood, traditionally with Genoa ham, dried scallops, dried shrimp, and just kind of cooked chilies, garlic, and shallots. Um, all those things are kind of cooked down each one separately and then just combined together in like a very, very light chili oil. What's in mine is a little insane and it's a very ex <laughs> expensive condiment to make, by the way, um, with mm -hmm. all the dried seafoods because there's different grades of dried seafood. You know, you grade it from A, B, C, D. And obviously the the higher the grade, which is grade A, the most expensive and dried seafood is just amazing and it packs so much flavor and umami and the ingredients that I have in mine actually are, um, I have dried scallops. All my, I try to source my ingredients, obviously, from, from reputable places, but I get my dried scallops from Hokkaido in Japan. Uh, I do some dried anchovies. Those are from Japan as well. I do some, like the tiny baby, baby shrimp from Japan as well. I actually do, I add, instead of Szechuan peppercorn, I add Sancho pepper, which is a lot more citrusy than your traditional Szechuan peppercorns. Fried shallots, fried garlic, yeah, and some different salts and, and sugars. Uh, it sounds delicious. As, as for the, the chili oil, if Make a case for somebody that doesn't already have this condiment as a as a pantry staple already. I personally love it on eggs, of course, dumplings. How else can you use it to kind of punch up dishes at home? Honestly, you can put it in vinaigrettes. I mean, you can cook with it for sure. Not just for topping it on a dish. You can use it in foods. My personal favorite is actually making fried rice and, and adding it to the fried rice mm. when you're cooking it, not just topping it on. But obviously, there's a lot of different chili oils and chili crisps out there. And everybody's is very, very different. Some are a lot more spicier than others. I think at this point, I've tried a lot of different ones. And I, I personally like a lot of the spicier ones out in the market. What What is yours like? Is it is it on the spicier end? Mine is insanely spicy. <laughs> Um, I use a, I, I actually use a blend of three chilies. I do chili de arbol, which is like extremely spicy. I do a kochikaru, which is Korean chili flake. And I use Yunnan chilies, which are on the milder side. It's mostly chili de arbol, so it's pretty spicy. <laughs> <I would say. laughs> so proceed with caution, yes. uh, is what you're saying. Uh, sure. what, what other 
Asian pantry staples you feel like everyone is is missing out on that you should have in your pantry? I think at this point, I think everybody has some sort of fish sauce in their pantry. That's definitely an umami booster. Don't just use it as a condiment. You can use it in dressings and you can cook with it as well. A little goes a long way. Literally, you can add a drop to a dish and it will just boost everything up. I like to kind of balance it out with a lot of acid mm-hmm. and a little bit of sweetness as well. A little bit of sugar or or honey will do wonders to that. And as well as any other pantry staples, got to have chili oil, got to have fish sauce and some sort of, I love minus eight vinegar. I've been using a lot of that. It's basically ice wine vinegar made from ice wine. Um, mm. So it's it's on the sweeter side. There's no other flavor out there just like mm. that. So. I'll have to check that out. I love using fish sauce in, in my Caesar dressing, actually. Oh, instead amazing. Of, yeah, mean, instead of anchovies. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, I, I have that always. I don't always have anchovies. Yeah. So I love hearing that. Coming up next, May tells us what she's been working on with Food Network. Obviously, you're no stranger to being on television. You won your season of Top Chef, which, you know, helped catapult your career even further. What was going through your head at that point in time? And and what did you think was going to be your next step? Honestly, I had no idea what was in store. My mentor, uh, Michael Voltaggio, actually won his season. And I know he gave me a little bit of advice before I was leaving for the show. It was literally just put your head down, cook your best food and forget about everything else around you. And that's kind of what stuck out to me and and what I did, putting your head down and and just working hard and and just making tasty food. I mean, you definitely did that. And I read that sometime after that, you worked with Oprah a little bit um, as a personal chef. I, Mm -hmm. I, I have to imagine that was an incredible experience as well. Can you tell us a little bit what that was like for you? Yeah, actually, it's been seven years now. I think I started, I basically started right after the show. One of my other mm. chef mentors, he became her personal chef. And I, I guess whenever she'd had like more than more than like six guests over at the house, he would, you know, call me up and I would just drive up to Santa Barbara and, and kind of help him out. And then it kind of just became a regular thing. And then when he would go on vacations, I would cover his vacation. So that's really how that kind of started. And yeah, we just spent the holidays together and it was so much fun. Were you able to learn anything from her just from a, a business standpoint or anything like that? I mean, she's a force for sure. Yeah. And honestly, just it, it's a lot of hard work. A lot of yeah. uh, communication is key. Well, fast forward to now, you are the star and host of Food Network's The Lunar New Year Menu Digital Series, where you gather some close friends, cook up some traditional dishes to celebrate. Can you kind of enlighten us a bit on the origins of the Lunar New Year? Well, you know, Lunar New Year is all all about tradition and celebrating with family, just get togethers, period. Obviously, we're still in COVID and Things are a little bit weird, but it's about getting everybody together and just celebrating the new year and, you know, hoping to have a lot of abundance and good luck and wealth throughout the year. It's not about just you. It's about everybody. It's about everybody around you. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what I I love most about this holiday. What kind of foods and dishes are typical for this celebration and what do they symbolize? Tangerines are huge. Basically, any type of citrus, some tangerines, pomelos, oranges, they just symbolize wealth and and good luck. There's a lot of veggie dishes. There's a whole steamed fish always. 
And in my family, dumplings are a thing. We kind of make dumplings all day. And actually, the more dumplings you make, the more luck that you'll have throughout the entire year. <laughs> but also dumplings, they they look like the old currency from like way back when in China. So like mm. the old ingots. And so, so that's why it also symbolizes wealth. And a lot of the different foods and symbolizations of, of Lunar New Year they all kind of stem from the same thing. They kind of all have uh, something to do with prosperity and wealth and good luck. It's everything. Words come into play as well. And there's a lot of wordplay. What did celebrating Lunar New Year look like at your home growing up? My mom would get up super early and kind of had the whole spread on the table by seven (laughs) o'clock. It's insane because you also you can't eat certain foods until like the end of the day because you want to offer it up as a, as an offering to, you know, to your, your loved ones and to different spirits and stuff like that before indulging in yourself. But I always remember eating some poon choy, which is a vegetarian or not, it's not a vegetarian dish, but there's a lot of sea, there's seaweed and different lettuces and like a lot of different dried seafoods like abalone as well. So that was like the one thing I had to eat before leaving the house everybody's household for Lunar New Year looks completely different. Everybody does something just a tad different from family to family. And that's that's really interesting. You kind of touched on it. What are some of the superstitions that you learned about when celebrating? You cannot clean your house the day of. You have to do all the cleaning prior to Lunar New Year because they say the superstition is if you clean or sweep on New Year's Day, you're sweeping your luck away for the entire year. So you definitely want to do that prior to New Year's Day. The same goes for washing your hair, washing your washing your luck away. Okay. Those are like the two that stick out to me the most because my mom still calls me to this day. She literally called me yesterday to remind me not to do that for the new year. And the new year is literally a week away. How do you celebrate, you know, nowadays in, in LA or wherever you happen to be for, for the holiday? It's literally just celebrating with food and, and with mm-hmm. the people around me. I, I kind of like to mom people, I guess, and uh, <laughs> shove food in their face. But it, it all comes from love, right? So yeah, yeah. just putting it out there for, for others. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool that you you get to share that, you know, on screen in, in this digital series. Can you kind of give us a, a little inside scoop on what filming the series was like? Who were some of the friends you invited to, to join you in cooking and, and why did you choose them? Honestly, it, it was just it was a blast shooting Lunar New Year menu. I had so much fun and I invited John Yao, Ryan Wong from Needle, Dina Salcom. She's a food writer and contributor to a bunch of different publications. My friend Jen Yi, who owns Baker's Bench in Chinatown, serving some of the, the best vegan pastries that you'll ever have. And Tony Nguyen, a bunch of different people from the industry, just serving a lot of great things. And it was just so much fun having to do that with everybody. Yeah, no, it sounds like a lot of fun. And for our listeners who maybe are catching this episode after Lunar New Year, are are these recipes ones that can be made outside of the holiday or for belated celebrations? Oh, you can make them whenever you want, for sure. (laughs) It's, It's definitely things that you can eat throughout the entire year. And they're super easy to make. And that's what's great about it. It's it's very simple. And it's ingredients that you can find in your in your local store, which is great. I suggest everybody kind of get out there and get the recipes and make them for your Lunar New Year menu and for others. 
What about people that maybe aren't as into cooking or as proficient in the kitchen? Are, are there like special offerings that people can kind of look out for this time of year at AAPI owned businesses? Maybe somebody wanted to try some of these celebratory foods that they can't get other times of the year. I know there are a lot of different places in Los Angeles that you can get a lot of different types of foods, but I actually put out a list on foodnetwork.com on my favorite places to to get different celebratory foods for the new year. And one of them being Stick It To Me Sweets here in New York. And Susanna Yoon is actually putting out some of the best bonbons that I've ever had. She has these uh, Lunar New Year ones that are red and gold, which are traditional colors for Lunar New Year. That's one of the things that I would love to have on my table for Lunar New Year or just like throughout the year in general. Because she just has like some of the best flavors of bonbons that I've ever had. And it's obviously not something very traditional per se, but it's very fitting for the holiday. We'll definitely uh, recommend to our, our listeners to check out that list. And, and of course, check out your series on Food Network. And uh, so looking forward to, to seeing the entire thing. And of course, for people celebrating Lunar New Year out there, this has been such a blast hearing your story, your journey to how you've gotten to where you are right now. We're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round and then one final question. So, all right, rapid fire questions, night owl or early bird? Early bird. Favorite quick snack? Anchovies. What are you currently reading or listening to? I am currently reading Obama's Promised Land. What has been the best decision of your career? Getting to do Top Chef. Someone has 24 hours in LA. What should they do? Eat everything. <laughs> Anything in particular? I send out everybody my my list of restaurants. They're separated by by neighborhoods. And so whenever someone's coming to LA, I literally shoot them that list and I try to help everybody kind of get in into different places. So it's definitely out there. If you if you want my list, you can definitely uh, reach out to me and, and I'll happily give it to you. Next travel destination. Japan. Any foods you absolutely cannot stand? Blue cheese. On the flip side, food you could eat for the rest of your life and never get sick of. Fried chicken. I agree. I'm with you on that one. That might make an appearance in this in this final question. So this is the question we ask everybody at the very end of all of our episodes. And the question is, what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want to take you have you take us through the entire day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. There are no rules. So you can travel, time travel. Anyone can cook it for you, living or dead. Yeah, there's no rules. So we just want to hear what, what you're eating on an ideal food day. Honestly, take me back to Japan. Um, I want to do soba super early in the morning for breakfast. Take a walk throughout the day. Stop into different shops. Get some mochi, different like grilled mochis, like savory and sweet. And honestly, finishing off like a sushi dinner. That's That's probably like my best day ever. That sounds pretty perfect and very on brand. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and share your stories. And of course, everybody check out your digital series on Food Network. Thank you so much for having me. You can catch more of May on the Lunar New Year menu on foodnetwork.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.